This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, August 9th, 2022. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for the Tuesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. We're learning more about plans for a NASCAR race in downtown Chicago. We'll cover that in our next segment, but right now, the latest reading from America's small businesses is out in a week that also includes key data on inflation. We're joined by Matt Matigan, CEO of Blue World Asset Managers here in Chicago. And Matt, it seems that small businesses uh, have a little bit of improved sentiment. Help us understand that. Yeah, that uh, a tiny move up is unfortunately not enough to uh, overcome what is a, a very substantial slide. I mean, when when we're trying to get a read on what the economy is actually doing, we want to hear from consumers and we want to hear from small business owners. Now, uh, to put today's reading in perspective, the optimism index for small business owners is sitting right now at a five-year low, and that is a full point below the COVID low from back in 2020. And one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest difficulties, in addition to worrying about inflation, uh, is the fact that they're having a great deal of trouble getting people back to work. Right. That in, that being able to fill, uh, I believe, what is the survey suggested, 49% of owners had job openings. They say they, they couldn't fill last month. And that may not sound uh, like much, even if it's just one or two positions. But as mentioned, these smaller businesses, it, they, they feel the impact a lot more. They do. They're far more sensitive. <clears throat> and again, the, the perspective here is that they, it, it is small business that are the overwhelming majority of the job creators in the country. So if they're running at those levels uh, with difficulty getting people into work, getting people into help, they feel that a whole lot more uh, than a large business does. We also saw a little bit of uh, an increased concern about inflation, and I know that it just seems like small businesses can't catch a break between those workforce shortages we mentioned, even supply chain disruptions. But really, I think the undertone moving forward is going to be inflation. Well, it is. And as another indicator of that, uh, a lesser known indicator, uh, again, we want to know small business, that's important. We want to know how the consumer feels. And the, the, there's an indicator called the IBD TIP, Economic Optimism Index. doesn't get talked, a lot a whole, uh, talked about a whole lot, but it has a lot of really important data in it. So 
optimism and outlook for the consumers includes things like personal financial situation, confidence in governmental economic policy. And on this reading, uh, on this index, a reading of 50 or more is considered good and optimistic. The COVID low for this index was 44. Today's reading was 38.1. So it, it does indicate that while there's a whole lot of hope out there uh, that, that things have peaked out and we're going to turn a corner, nobody's quite convinced of it yet. Sure, sure. Understandably so. Thanks so much, Matt Matigan, CEO of Blue World Asset Managers here in Chicago. You'll find his blog at blueworldam.com. Coming up, some members of the Chicago City Council want to put a stop sign for a NASCAR race here in Chicago. Money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Details of next year's NASCAR race in downtown Chicago are starting to emerge as some aldermen push back against the event. Let's get the latest from Greg Hines, a columnist for Crane's Chicago Business. Uh, Greg, a lot of hype around the event when it was first announced, but now we're, we're learning a little bit more about the logistics of it, and it's raising eyebrows, perhaps. Yeah, it is. It is racial. Um, uh, the mayor has uh, said that uh, this is, could be a great event. It's good for tourism. Uh, bring people to Chicago. Uh, raise our public image a little bit. And they, they all will be true. But she has been very scant with details about the impact on the people who live downtown, who are going to have to put up with cars roaring around in closed streets or whatever. Well, after two weeks of trying, we claims finally through a FOIA, uh, a formal request, got from the park to take a copy of the permit they've given. And it raises, indeed, it raises some questions. Uh, the, the bottom line is it says that much of the park will be occupied for for uh, for weeks, uh, part of it for, for uh, around a month, uh, that there could be up to 100,000 people a day there, uh, and the bottom line seems to be that uh, that uh, relative to Lollapalooza, which occupies some of the same space uh, and is about the same size, the city's going to get much less money. And why is that? Uh, what's the difference between an event like NASCAR and Lollapalooza? Other than ticket sales, there's there's additional revenue with those kinds of events. Um, but that's a good question, and I frankly can't answer it. Neither is <laughs> the city. Uh, uh, the mayor has kind of suggested, well, Lollapalooza's been up and running for a while, whereas this NASCAR stuff is uh, is just getting started here, and that's true, but NASCAR's not exactly a startup business that needs a subsidy to get on its feet. It's a, it's a worldwide enterprise that's going to make a lot of money uh, all out of holding a, a big Chicago race. And the question is, should we uh, should we uh, let them close Lakeshore Drive? Should we let them close Michigan Avenue? Should we let them occupy the area around uh, Buckingham Fountain for a full month? Uh, should we give them uh, use of the, the Patillo band shell for uh, for uh, $500,000 roughly up front, plus a, 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 a three bucks for every ticket that's sold? And then since we don't know how many tickets are going to be sold, we don't know how much that's going to be. A few aldermen also sort of raising concern about the event. Is there anything legislatively that the city can do to sort of pump the brakes on this type of event? Um, the, the last time the aldermen spoke up, they said they were preparing legislation to ensure that events like this have to be voted on, uh, that the mayor can't unilaterally just sign a contract. Whether they can still do this on this one, though, is, is not quite sure, and whether they have the vote the support from their colleagues in the city council to do it, it's not quite sure. But uh, all I can say is the more details that come out, the more it seems obvious to me anyhow that we need to hold a hearing here and public officials need to ask some real questions in public and find out exactly what's going on. 
Thanks so much. Greg Hines, columnist for Crane's Chicago Business. Up next, a fast food chain is adding some sweet nostalgia to its breakfast menu. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Well, the latest salvo in the food or the fast food breakfast wars involves Wendy's edition of a sweet new item. Let's get an update from RJ Hadavi, head of analytical research at foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI, based here in Chicago. And RJ, it's a running joke, I think, with our producer Andy Gersher that I love anything, anytime we get to talk about food. So let's talk about Wendy's and its newest breakfast item. Sure, sure. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always a fun topic to talk about. Uh, so Wendy's is introducing a, uh, some uh, French toast sticks uh, ahead of the back to school season. And really, I think it's uh, part of a larger movement we've seen across the industry as we start to see people come back to work and working in office. We've seen you know, new breakfast items released, not only from Wendy's, but other players as well. Breakfast was one of the categories that was hit hardest during COVID uh, as people stopped going into offices and changed their routines. Uh, but we started to see it come back. And, uh, you know, ju- just last week or a couple of weeks ago, McDonald's talked about breakfast being the strongest performing day part in their business in the U.S. So it's something we're starting to see more and more of. And it probably won't be the last announcement we see ahead of the uh, the fall season. No, I know even uh, Taco Bell's doing some $5 breakfast box. And, and again, uh, Wendy's has said that its goal all along when it introduced its breakfast menu was to sort of right the wrongs of what it calls a boring and bland breakfast. So yeah, a little bit of variety. But I do think you sort of mentioned that breakfasts can be a, a profitable meal for fast food chains. Yeah, and that's why we've seen so much movement into this space. A lot of people trying to replicate the success McDonald's has had at its peak. McDonald's was about 30% of its business was breakfast. And to that point, it's a lot of times a more profitable business uh, day part than what we see for other categories. Uh, if you think about it, you know, products like coffee are very high margin. Uh, there's not a lot of complexity to a cup of coffee. So that's why we've seen it. And you're able to charge a bit more uh, on that as well. Egg products are typically pretty high margin as well, too. So these are things that... Why a lot of the QSR chains are getting into it is you know getting more profitability uh, than you know some of the other day parts and you know honestly too the other thing you, you have is you get better uh, utilization of your stores you're able to operate uh, around the clock or you know earlier morning and you improve the sales of that location too so those are the motivations why we're seeing so many people get into the breakfast day part now it's not the easiest category and we've seen some some groups try to get into it and fail but. I think at this point, most QSR chains, most fast food chains, have uh, certainly at least established a presence in this category. And as you mentioned, it's sort of a convenient time for this battle for breakfast to take place as uh, students head back to school, parents are sort of back into that daily routine, and even people heading back into the office in the morning. Exactly, and that's uh, it's it's interesting because we are starting to see that you know particularly that six to nine a.m. Uh, part of the day. That's where we've seen a lot of uh, you know foot track foot traffic improvements for the fast food chains, at least according to our data. But what's interesting too is that I think we've seen uh, the, that whole day part get spread out. The other area that we're starting to see some real success is that late afternoon kind of snacking uh, day part. And that's, I think, going to be interesting to see how restaurants accommodate both this early morning day part as people come back to the office and school, but also satisfy those uh, that late afternoon customer who may have changed the routine during COVID. And I think that's going to be an important way to you know, restaurant operators to really balance this going forward. 
R.J. Hadavi, head of analytical research at foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI, based here in Chicago, still ahead in Travel Tuesday tips for those first-time cruisers. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Reaction comes in from yesterday's search of former President Donald Trump's home in Florida. It's Travel Tuesday, and we'll offer some strategic help for travelers planning to go on the cruise for a very first time. Also on the travel beat, the latest on the incredibly shrinking size of airplane seats. WBBM business markets are lower. The Dow is down 35 points. The Nasdaq off. 174, and the S&P 500 down 19 points. AccuWeather says we'll see a mix of sun and clouds today with a high right around 76 degrees. Clear skies tonight, lows in the mid-50s, then plenty of sunshine tomorrow. Warmer temperatures, too, a high of 84 degrees. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues now, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. An FBI search of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate took place yesterday. CBS News senior investigative correspondent Catherine Herridge reports. Former prosecutor Harry Lippman told CBS News securing a search warrant in a case like this would require a high standard of evidence. Have we ever been here before with a former president? This kind of high stakes, high level service of a search warrant by the FBI, I think that's unprecedented. Multiple sources told CBS News the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago was connected to missing White House records. Earlier this year, the National Archives asked the Justice Department to investigate Trump's handling of official documents. There's no word yet on what agents retrieved from the home. A few dozen Trump supporters, meantime, gathered outside of Mar-a-Lago yesterday to voice their disapproval of the search. In my own opinion, I think it's another unjust, uh, made-up thing like the impeachment hoaxes. Biden administration, the Democrats, are weaponizing the FBI, and it has to stop. The FBI is not here to weaponize against another president. It never has happened before. The former president was in New York at the time of the raid. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets are in the red. To take the latest look at Wall Street, we're joined by Hugh Johnson, Chairman and Chief Investment Officer of Hugh Johnson Economics, based in Albany, New York. Hugh, uh, let's talk about what's driving some of the numbers this afternoon. Uh, NASDAQ falling for the third straight day, and I think it's a lot to do with chip stocks. Yes, it certainly does have a lot to do with chip stocks. We got the news from Micron. Micron is saying that they're going to cut back on their capital spending. That's obviously in response to their um, their knowledge that we're starting to see a softness in demand. And that softness in demand is both on the consumer side, uh, PCs, smartphones, but it's also on the business side. You see that um, from industrial companies and auto companies that are reducing their uh, business is going down a little bit, and they're reducing, obviously, their demand for for chips. So we're seeing that the demand for chips, in some ways, Rachel, this is a, actually fairly good news. And the, way, the reason I say that is because 
what the markets are really looking for is better news on inflation, meaning it's some news that inflation is going to come down and news that the economy is slowing so that there may be some chance that the Federal Reserve down the line, and I'm really talking about September, will pause in their increase in interest rates. And so we do need some news that shows that the economy, which is true, the economy is slowing down. And this certainly shows that the economy is slowing down. We see that in the demand for chips, and Micron is right at the top of that list. So the bad news is good news. It's sort of strange to say it, but I think that's why this is in some ways, in strange ways, good news. I am curious to sort of get your take on what this could mean just for the tech industry as a whole, because we also saw an announcement from NVIDIA sort of weighing on uh, the chip shortage. Even iShare Semiconductor ETF lost more than 4% today after falling uh, almost 2% yesterday. And those are some big players maybe investors thought were, were safe from navigating these supply chain issues. Yeah, no, I don't know if it's as much the supply chain issue, although that's certainly part of the story. I think it's really the demand side of the issue, and it's consumer demand, and it's also business demand, and they're obviously being affected uh, by a number of things, not the least of which is, quite frankly, the high rates of inflation, which is reducing demand and reducing sales. You know, we're just, we're simply, we went into a recession. It depends on how you measure it, a recession or a soft landing in the first and second quarter. The question is, what's the third quarter look like? And based on what we're hearing from the uh, chip manufacturers, it looks pretty, not, it looks gloomy for the third quarter. It looks like we're not going to come out of the uh, so-called either hard landing recession or soft landing, simply a slowdown. So, Things look a little bit uh, a little bit gloomy, quite frankly, for the third quarter. And hopefully, hopefully, in time, the Federal Reserve will see this and will respond by taking their foot off the brake. That's really what the markets are counting on. Even a little bit of optimism as well from uh, from the U.S. government, sort of uh, investing big time into domestic production of these chips. But again, that's not something that can just start overnight or by Q3. No, no, it certainly can't. It's going to take years, a lot of time. And Micron itself is going to invest $40 billion over time. And we're talking time, we're talking 10 years. It takes a lot. These are very, very big projects. And obviously the government is responding. They're responding to the fact that now everybody knows that, you know, we have a very heavy reliance on Taiwan for semiconductor manufacturing. And so they want to shift some of that manufacturing uh, back to the U.S. And that's going to take time. You're absolutely right. But uh, over time, I think the U.S. will start to uh, regain its lead. I don't want to say lead in uh, manufacturing of semiconductor chips. That's really a good long-term program. I want to shift gears just just ever so quickly into the energy sector. It's uh, leading some early trading today, and I'm curious to sort of get your take on what's contributing to that. Well, we're having a couple of things, and, and quite frankly, the oil price part of this equation isn't that bad. The real part of the problem is gas prices. We're seeing a surge in gas prices on the energy side of the equation. You know, if you ask yourself the question, you know, where did we get the high inflation numbers from? Um, it's not so much, um, it's, it's to some extent food prices, and that's very much related to the fact that we rely so heavily on the Ukraine, as well as Russia for fertilizer prices, but also it's also the very heavy dependence on energy uh, sources such as Russia. And that's really a function of, of the Ukraine. If you eliminate, if you get put aside the energy uh, problem and the food problem, the food price problem, um, you've really not licked, entirely licked, the uh, inflation problem, but you've made a big, big dent in the inflation problem. So 
that that's a big part of what our concern is right now. That's that's the source of of most of the problems with the uh, high rates of inflation that we're facing. We'll get better numbers on inflation, incidentally, when we see the uh, consumer price index numbers for the month of July. Tomorrow, you'll see an increase which is far more modest than the 1% plus increase that we saw for the month of June. You'll get an increase of something like 0.2%, and that's largely a reflection of the decline in energy prices and in commodity prices that we've seen over the course of the last six weeks. Hugh Johnson, thanks so much. He's chairman and chief investment officer of Hugh Johnson Economics based in Albany, New York. Up next in Travel Tuesday, we'll offer some advice for people looking to take their first cruise. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday this afternoon. We're focusing on cruises with an emphasis on tips for first timers. We welcome Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Angie, as someone who's uh, only taken a couple of cruises in their lifetime. I do think there's a few things I'd wish I'd known my first time boarding that boat. What's, uh, what advice do you have for first-time goers? I think it's really important to choose the type of cruise first and foremost. And then probably secondary to that, believe it or not, is the itinerary and the destination. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned type of boat because uh, I've done the gigantic Norwegian cruise ship where you're basically on uh, what feels like an island itself. I've also done a sailboat cruise, and that was, uh, let me just say, I'm glad I packed the Dramamine. Right, right. And you do, you want to consider the weather also when you choose a cruise itinerary because there is some seasonality as far as what you can expect, weather conditions, and how it'll affect your cruise. Obviously, a Caribbean cruise during hurricane season is going to be a bumpier ride. And I think sometimes people really overlook the fact that you can cruise on rivers, whether that's in Europe or even in Africa. Some of our favorite itineraries are Egypt uh, river cruises. And one thing that you also need to keep in mind, it's very easy to focus on these bigger brand hotels, or um, similarly to like a hotel, to focus on the bigger brand cruises. But there's also land suppliers that do a fantastic job of offering cruise itineraries where they basically charter a boat. So you don't want to look overlook those other opportunities that might be more difficult to come by. What advice do you have when it comes to packing? I'm uh, notorious for overpacking, even if it's just for a two-day trip. But a cruise, I think you feel like you need to just have everything because once you're out on the water, you're out on the water. But maybe maybe there's some things to leave at home. Very true. I do think you have to really be mindful of what you're going to wear and whether or not the cruise is country club casual or whether there's going to be some nights where you're going to dress more formally. Another thing to really consider is your pre and post cruise itinerary. I always tell clients to really consider the the destinations where you start and end your cruise where you can add more time. And so if you're adding more time, you're going to have to have your luggage um, to be able to accommodate those extra days. Believe it or not, there's companies that'll ship your bags pretty affordably um, when you think of the baggage fees that are being charged and also the risk of baggage being lost on connecting flights. And I'd also add to that that sometimes we overlook the value of a luxury cruise and we look at these mass market cruises. And the difference between a luxury cruise is oftentimes these luxury cruises, they include laundry and dry cleaning services. They include the cost of premium alcohol and the specialty dining, as well as the shore excursion. So sometimes when you do a true comparison of your total cost, 
there's so much added value to a luxury cruise line in addition to the um, better ratios passenger to crew and the other amenities of a luxury cruise. So a lot of times people think that they can't afford the luxury cruise option when in fact, when you look at total cost, it can be much more value added. Some really fantastic advice for first-time cruise travelers. Thanks so much, Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors. The website, travelbta.com. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday and still to come. The FAA is taking a look at public comment on airplane seat size. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Federal regulators are reviewing seat sizes on airplanes, and they're asking for public input. Let's learn more from Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University here in Chicago. Joe, I thought maybe it was just me that either I was getting bigger or the seats were getting smaller, but uh, it turns out it's the latter. It's certainly not your imagination, and airlines are uh, trying everything from thinner seats to nudging a little bit on the aisle, but it's all constrained by an FAA requirement that planes have to be evacuated 90 minutes. So the FAA is having hearings, giving input on whether they should set minimums on width and pitch for the very reasons you described. And Well, I think there's also a, a little bit of concern. I know that there are larger passengers uh, buying multiple plane tickets, buying up two seats uh, when, when, when they can't fit in just one. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the FAA is uh, for the next, you know, three months or so going to following congressional order, get input from the public. And you can just imagine what they're hearing about all the hardships some people have, the tall people, people that have health issues. Um, and the market, you know, is just very awkward here because people book flights and they don't really know how much seat pitch they have. In an ideal world, you could shop around based on what kind of comfort you want. You know, but that doesn't seem to register with people when they, when they book what they're getting. So people often gravitate to the lowest cost airlines that have no seat pitch and they're surprised when they get there. So you point out some people are asked to uh, buy two seats if they have a really wide girth and that creates onboard tension when they don't do that in advance. So this, uh, this keeps things stressful in the cabin when, uh, when people are wedged in <laughs> to this extent. Yeah, no kidding. It already adds to the, the headache and stress of, of deplaning or getting onto a plane. Congress now has, has ordered the FAA, the FAA rather to sort of have this minimum dimensions for its seats, though uh, it's uh, yet to comply, the FAA that is. So is there is there thought that this sort of public comment period would, would persuade them to start making action on, on a universal seat size? Well, it is an interesting timing because Congress is pretty revved up about the airlines right now with the cancellations and the, you know, the war stories of the airport after so much of pandemic aid. So the airlines are, are not held in great esteem by a lot of consumers. So this, this could create um, uh, you know, a headache for the airlines or good news for consumers, depending on where you are, if the FAA does come out with these minimums. Um, one study shows the configuration doesn't affect evacuation times that much. So you can bet the airlines are arguing that this isn't going to have much effect on safety. But I think we're seeing now that flights are just going to pack one after another. The effects of these sinking tree seat sizes really resonate with people more than they used to. So uh, their FAA is going to have some, some tough calls here. Thanks so much, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. 
news. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 